this actually isn't an act of charity. It's an act of strategic advantage. And you really want to be a first mover in this space of figuring this nut out because we're gonna have to do it. Like the train has left the station and we are going in this direction. And so do you wanna be a first mover and collaborate with a partner like Kara or like the partners within the Red F portfolio to crack that nut? Or do you just wanna wait and see what happens and then lose out on all this tenacious talent along the way? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let's Get to Work, the new podcast series from Red F Workshop. This podcast features conversations with thought leaders and innovators who are making a difference in our communities to challenge us to think creatively and differently about the ways in which we can achieve success through employment social enterprise. This episode, as always, features Red F's president and CEO, Carla Javits. Today, she's in conversation with Maria Kim. Maria is the CEO of Kara. Kara is based out of Chicago and helps people affected by poverty and often the challenges of recovery, domestic violence, episodic homelessness, and incarceration to get and keep quality jobs. Kara operates two social enterprises, Clean Slate, a community beautification and maintenance company, and Kara Connects, a staffing agency. Carla and Maria cover many topics, including employer engagement, how Kara approaches equity and diversity, scaling social enterprise, outcome measurement, and lots more. So we hope you enjoy their conversation. Let's get to work. Maria, it's great to be here with you today. Uh, I just wanted to open up with um, a pretty general question, you know, about you personally. How did you get involved in Kara? How did you get into this work? What what brought you to this? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me here. It's really fun to be able to have this kind of a chat with you. Yeah. Um, for me, so I like to tell the story that I am 13 and 13. And mm. by that, I mean I was 13 years in the insurance business. Mm. Um, and then 9-11 happened. And as with most of us, when 9-11 happened, you know, we experienced a series of shocks, right? And in my case, I would say there was a professional shock and a personal shock. Professional shock being soon after we were a small kind of scrappy mid-sized family-owned company and we were scooped up. We were acquired by a new firm right after 9-11. And the personal shock was simply that um, you can't have something like that happen in any of our lives and not pull up and take stock of what am I doing? Mm. You know what I mean? If, mm-hmm. if this is how fragile our days actually are, like am I actually walking in my vocation? Yeah. And so... I decided I wasn't, and I decided also I wasn't happy in the new firm. The new firm kind of it went from this family-owned vibe to a different corporate culture that just wasn't my jam. Oh. And so for the next couple of years, I coffered money away so that I could switch from private industry to the purpose sector. And in 2005, came to Kara and have been there for 13 years now. So wow. that's my 13 and 13. How did you how did you find <laughs> what what brought Kara in particular onto your radar screen? You know, it's funny. It, it was co-located with Horizons for Youth, which is this organization where I volunteered for for a long time. And I was a big sibling in that organization, and and I would always see these people running about, you know. Mm-hmm. But they weren't the kids, so I'm like, okay, well, whatever's happening over there, that's their that's their thing. But, you know, my jam was the young people with Horizons for Youth. And when I really started thinking about what is it that um, fires me up, you know, mm-hmm. what is it that lights me up? It's yeah. it's this notion of being in purpose or in service. And so it wasn't going to be at Horizons, but where could it be? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, Kara, you know, I was there for an informational interview with my predecessor, my now predecessor, Eric Weinheimer, mm-hmm. who you know well. Mm-hmm. And he was just helping me, you know, he was helping me to mm-hmm. interview, to mock interview me, to get me ready for like mm-hmm. 
does a VP of IT really want to work in the purpose sector? What does that look like? What kind of questions are people going to throw to me? Am I ready to be in this kind of work? All of those things. And uh, one of our informational interviews kind of turned into an actual interview. And Oh, that's really <laughs> funny. <laughs> And all of a sudden, you are being hired. (laughs) So, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Is there something? uh, Do you feel like? I guess something from your own life that feels particularly connected to the kind of work Kara does? You know, it's interesting. I always thought that my mission orientation would be children, children or education or something in that hemisphere. But then when I met the organization of Kara, I was like, ah. You know, perhaps it's more this umbrella of poverty alleviation. Mm -hmm. And there happen to be multiple ways that people hack at that, education and youth development being among them, but not exclusively, right? And and then I realized by meeting great people like Eric and all the people that are part of that organization, um, there's a population of people that are too often forgotten, and Mm. it's the moms and dads of Mm. the kids that I've always been so passionate about. And so how do we flip the script? How do we elevate our vantage point to them so that we make sure that they're not forgotten as well? Right, right. And I think a lot of people are thinking about, you know, kind of multi-generational poverty and how do you, you know, how do you break the cycle? So if you never deal with the parents, very tough to do that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, Is there, uh, is there an individual in your life who you feel like influenced maybe your journey into the purpose-driven sector? Um, this might sound a little, uh, a little. I don't know if cheesy is the right word, but to be honest with you, I was a uh, key club mem- member in high school. Are you familiar huh? with key club? Yeah, a, a little bit. Tell me a little bit more. So, yeah, I've heard of that. like Kiwanis. Yes. Okay, so a derivative of Kiwanis is key club, which is a service okay. organization for youth. Uh-huh. And so in high school, I was a member of the key club. I became the president of the key club wow. and I had a guy and my guy was my sponsor his name is Terry Joswick wow. and um, I knew him from age 14 to 18 so he really saw me grow up wow. and he seeded this idea of to serve is to live you know and wow. and uh, I just I fell in love with all the work that we were doing it obviously mm. lit me up because I stayed mm. in that organization for yeah. so long and and it wasn't clear right away because I ended up being in insurance for as long as I was. Yeah. But when I made the switch, I remember calling him. I remember visiting him, actually. And when I went to visit him, he was still teaching at the time. And he had this dusty old picture of me pinned up to his bulletin board. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Isn't that the sweetest thing? <laughs> and I was like, I love that I still made the cut on the board. And P.S., you're the reason why I'm in the work that I'm doing today. Incredible. Yeah. So he was kind of a mentor through your high school years. Yeah, really. and I think he seeded yeah. the idea. I don't know yeah. if it would have been an intentional Planted choice for my career yeah. later unless. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Well, just turning to Kara. Kara is such a an iconic and in really incredible organization in the world of social enterprise. I think a lot of us uh, admire so much what you do and when we've had the kind of wonderful chance to come over and do morning motivations and just get the vibe in the place and, uh, you know, how engaged people are and how positive an environment it is. It's so impressive. Um, and I guess I wonder, you know, what's happening at CARA these days? You know, are there changes afoot or, you know, kind of what's what's going on? What are we up what's to? What's on your mind? Yeah. Uh, probably two big things that I'd want to share. One is 
you know, we're no longer a one-size-fits-all organization. Mm. I think back in the day, we kind of had a point of view about the formula that would work for this population of people most affected by homelessness and poverty. But what we're realizing is life has changed, the world has changed, and we needed to evolve with it. And so the face of who falls into into homelessness and poverty is different. Their education demographic, the Great Recession, like, scooped up a lot of new people mm. into that population. And we could no longer be this one note, mm. you know. And so over time, under the leadership of uh, our team who's with us this week, like Joe, Joe Mutuck and Bob White, you know, we've really expanded how we serve who we serve mm. so that um, it's not just this full-time intensive kind of original recipe, Kara, mm. but it's also how do we make that part-time to flex to individuals who might be underemployed mm. but need an additional on-ramp to get back into employment or to skew wow. to young people for whom the classroom has kind of let them down. So putting them back in the classroom might not be the right pathway. How do you put them to work right away in one of the social enterprises yeah. and then slip in learnings over time? Right. So we've created from one kind of portal and pathway into the program, now four, four different flavors to address different people's needs and wants, um, to be more inclusive and also to try to capture and be relevant to as wide a group as possible. Yeah, do you, does it, um, I guess what strikes me about Kara is always that it's had such a strong sense of community. And I guess I wonder with all the, maybe people coming from very different places, different ages, uh, has that changed that at all or? Yeah, how do you see the community evolving? I guess. It's funny that you say that. I mean, I was just at an event last Friday where we were featuring one of our employed students, and she was from the class of September 17, let's say, September of 2017. And she said, My class was had everyone from age 17 to 70. Mm. How cool is that? <laughs> Right? That's like, wonderful. So the yeah. youngest person was 17, the oldest person was 70, the education yeah. levels were all over the place. You had an individual who'd been incarcerated for 19 years and was just out for three months coming into the program to her who had her master's degree. Mm. And she came in and she said, honestly, that, um, what, how did she share it with me? She said, I had all this alphabet behind my name, right? And so I thought I could teach you all a thing or two. And what I realized was that the community actually taught me. That once I kind of let myself go into this community of diversity, of different voices, of young people and older people and all kinds of education and experiences, like that's where she actually came to her new awareness of herself. Mm. Um, and so does that work all the time? Perhaps not. But like mm. I think that part of what our job is at Kara is to mm. emulate the real world. And if the real world is a, is a hot mess of a mix of lots of different people, then mm -hmm. maybe so too should the community inside the mm -hmm. organization. And I think also, you know, sometimes what you see is if you grow up uh, in communities that are struggling, sometimes they can be fairly isolated. So it maybe that's a, another feature of coming into a community like Kara, where you get to meet a whole lot of different kinds of people from different parts of the city and things like that. Exactly. But, yeah. and, and, and help people to understand that maybe no matter our experiences, there's more that ties us together than, mm -hmm. than actually sets us apart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So maybe kind of continuing to riff on that general theme, uh, the whole uh, kind of issue of equity, uh, diversity, uh, is a you know, it's kind of a, um, you know, centuries old issue in the United States, certainly. And it keeps evolving and we keep struggling with it. And it obviously has profound effects on the kind of work we do because uh, a lot of the people that are served by social enterprises are people of color. A lot of the systems that 
uh, they're struggling to kind of get disentangled from, tend to have a disproportionate representation of people of color kind of rooted in our history uh, of, you know, r racial bias, discrimination, um, racial disparities. So I guess I just wonder, how do you think about those issues at CARA? How have you taken them on? Kind of, How do they manifest themselves in the work that yeah. you do? I think there are probably two pathways that come to mind with that question. One is more systemic in that um, we're very passionate about the concept of inclusive employment right now. Mm -hmm. And not just inclusive employment as, as we might generally think, like from a DEI perspective, mm -hmm. but more specifically in urban areas like Chicago, you know, how can private industry over-index to communities that have been hardest hit by poverty. And therefore, if that's what they're committing to, what does that force them to reflect on in terms of their hiring guidelines, in terms of their kind of inclusive behaviors for people whose education, experience, involvement with the justice system might not you know, be the same flavor of what they think of when they think of an ideal candidate. And what we want to agitate around with our kind of employer partners is, how can we get you to understand that this actually isn't an act of charity? It's an act of strategic advantage. And you really want to be a first mover in this space of figuring this nut out because we're going to have to do it. Like the train has left the station and we are going in this direction. And so do you want to be a first mover and collaborate with a partner like Kara or like the partners within the Red F portfolio mm -hmm. to crack that nut? Or do you just want to wait and see what happens and then lose out on all this tenacious talent along the way? And so that's kind of systemically what we are really thinking about and talking about it with all of our local employment partners, many of whom have a national mm -hmm. footprint. So hopefully mm -hmm. we can trigger more yeah. aggressive conversations in this regard. Yeah. And the second one that I might reflect on is more internal. And that's where I feel like we have a long ways to go. Mm -hmm. And that is when I think about our own leadership structure within CARA, mm -hmm. you know, is it as reflective of our community as I would like it to be? And the answer is no. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what can I do about that? What should we do about that? Mm -hmm. So we've taken some slow measured steps like, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with Leading for Impact with Bridgespan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So through that program, we were able to yeah. focus on building future leaders. Like how do we create really intentional structured processes to make sure that our leaders that are just coming up have the the speed, the velocity, and the intentionality to accelerate to higher mm -hmm. ranking points of leadership mm -hmm. along the way through a measured process mm -hmm. so that our leadership can be more equitable than it is today. Mm -hmm. um, I would say we have a long ways to go mm -hmm. there, if I'm being completely honest with you, but it's definitely a, uh, an act of intention like that we journey, want to be more committed to. On. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. On, um, on the first point that you brought up, I was curious, uh, as you're engaging with employers uh, in the Chicago area, Maybe uh, can you reflect a little on one or two that are embracing the message that you're putting across? And then what are they doing? How are they changing? What are they doing differently? Mm -hmm. um, well, I would say that a first and foremost partner that's been a longstanding believer in this mm -hmm. concept is ABM, which is mm -hmm. a property management company. And I think, you know, I, the numbers now are staggering, but they've trained over a thousand CARA participants wow. over their time with us. And, mm -hmm. and as you know, the, the oomph of that partnership is not just who gets hired. They hire the top performing individuals from this like credentialed janitorial training program. Mm -hmm. uh, but also anyone who passes their test gets a certificate with their logo on it. Mm -hmm. And then that certificate has its own market value. Mm -hmm. 
you know, Northwestern Medicine will say, yep, we, we want to hire environmental services folks from your shop, but only mm -hmm. the ones that have that mm -hmm. ABM certificate, really mm -hmm. like that, you know, et cetera. And so what did they do differently? Mm -hmm. What do they do differently? Yeah. They created what we call a branded training, mm -hmm. meaning that their, their training is ABM kind of credentialed. Mm -hmm. Um, and they use it as a try before you buy. Mm -hmm. And so while now it's a model that works and is proven and is lather, rinse, repeat, in the beginning it was actually used to um, convince their internal leadership that might have been like, meh, like their spidey sense was up. They weren't mm -hmm. really sure if this is a thing. Yeah. But if I'm a teacher in a classroom and that is as simple as my relationship is right now and I just get to scan the classroom to see who vibes with me? What is are, are they studying correctly? Are they tracking the information? Are they attentive? Do they show up on time? Are they doing all the mm -hmm. things? And then slowly I start to shift my own perspective about what this talent actually looks like. Well, then, then I become an evangelist for it. Mm -hmm. But it's because I started as a trainer mm -hmm. rather than as an employer. Mm -hmm. And if we can do these slow doorways that just let somebody step into the pond, so to speak, then I think we have a better chance of like shifting hearts and minds as we mm -hmm. as we want to mm -hmm. do. Beginning to get exposure to people, get to know people as human beings, exactly. and then start to crack open the door. Exactly. Yeah. And then you start to see like the proxies for talent are not just visible on a resume. Right. And in fact, they might never be visible on a resume. Right. They might be visible in this kind of an interaction where you can mm. see somebody is truly committed to understanding the principles of what you're all about. They're studying like crazy. They're showing up on time. They're super enthusiastic. All of mm -hmm. these things, these immeasurables that don't make their way on a bullet right. point. Right, right, right. Um, on the other point you made, uh, I guess I was kind of curious uh, in terms of internally trying to uh, kind of hire and promote uh, maybe from within the communities even that you're serving. Because I know having met a lot of people who have come up through social enterprise, so many people who have struggled in their lives feel, as you did in your career, that sense of wanting to give back, you know, wanting to have purpose in their lives and wanting to be part of an organization that, you know, has something to offer to their own communities. And I'm just curious as, you, you know, does that ever merge together for you? Are you meeting some people through sort of your workforce and, you know, social enterprise piece that you see can, you know, uh, come into CARA and maybe potentially over the time become leaders at CARA? Oh, absolutely. And mm -hmm. about a third of our staff are former participants in uh -huh. the program. So there's about 80 Fantastic. people that work at CARA, but 30% are former participants. Uh -huh. um, and, and there are lots of individuals that have ascended through the ranks. Mm -hmm. I think where I want to be smart and intentional about holding the mirror to my own leadership leadership is that um, my executive team does not reflect that mm -hmm. scenario. And so, mm -hmm. and so what can I do? What can we collectively do to make sure that pathway is open mm -hmm. for individuals to rise up? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, so I'm going to ask you kind of the two sides of the coin question. So first of all, you know, when you get up out of bed in the morning, what makes you bound into work and you're, you're most excited about what's going on at, at Kara that day? I think that what's getting me excited today, mm -hmm. um, I'll give you a meta answer and then a, like a more <laughs> on the ground answer. My meta answer is that we're really thinking about how we're able to codify a method of what mm. we're doing, the method of mm. what we're doing in such a way that we can share it more liberally, you know, and that, and that irrespective of what we aspire to do in Chicago, mm. that people have tools and pathways to be able to accelerate the power of workforce in their own communities. Mm. 
and and that's intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about whether you also asked me, I think, offline about you know what can we do as a sector to get smarter. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things we can do is to have a standardized set of practices mm-hmm. that we all yeah. collectively believe this is the toolkit, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Like this is how we roll and. You know, it's our collective responsibility to catalyze that set of practices in a very meaningful way. Whereas right now, I feel like we kind of, I don't know if it's the funding landscape, if it's life, if it's whatever, but you can tend to be kind of in your own zone, Mm -hmm. thinking vertically about your own domain. Mm -hmm. And I think our opportunity right now is how do we look horizontally across all of these great leaders that you've convened together Mm -hmm. to come up with what is that standard operating set of principles, you know, and how do we make sure we ourselves adhere to that standard and then compel others to do the same? Yeah, I think that's really, uh, really exciting. And it's certainly something that's on, on Red F's mind. And I think, you know, just observing the nonprofit sector over decades, uh, it's been hard to replicate good practices. You know, it's been really tough. There's, it's sort of, the landscape is littered with failures of, you know, groups that say, all right, we've got something going here. It's really special. Let's bottle it and take it everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really challenging to do it in a different way, I think, than, you know, franchising a typical uh, business or something like that, where you can really just uh, define those practices and bring them into the community. And yet, as you said, you know, Red F certainly has had the the privilege of being involved with so many amazing organizations like CARA that have learned the hard way how to do it well. Mm-hmm. And so there is some synthesis going on, and it's a relatively new field. So I think it's important, you know, now that we start to synthesize mm-hmm. what are the core principles and what does really work. Uh, but it's not easy. And I wonder, how do you, I guess just reflecting on it, how do you think about the balance between sort of what's the secret sauce and then on the other hand, what sort of, you know, standard operating procedures that others can right. can replicate, you know. That's funny. Uh, be a hard question, but Well, I think I think that there is there is a suite of standard principles that all best practice workforce providers adhere to, whether mm-hmm. consciously or unconsciously. Uh-huh. And that I feel like if if a body like Red F or some type of other third party kind of looked looked at it, hovered over and looked at it, it'd be quite obvious. These six principles are what are the common denominators of, mm-hmm. of these practices. Now, whether people do those practices at different levels of depth, I suppose that's a question, yeah. but I think the presence of them needs to be our first step, you know, right. the, to really understand yeah. that and effectuate that. In terms of to layer on top of that, what is the secret sauce? I guess for Kara, you know, we've mm-hmm. spent some time over the last year reflecting on what is the minimum viable product before we would feel comfortable saying this is this is the execution of the Kara mm-hmm. method. So there's some marriage mm-hmm. between the standard operating procedures and a dose of our MVP that gets you to, yep, mm-hmm. this plus that equals mm-hmm. the CARA method in deployment. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that. I mean, I'm hearing myself talk and I'm getting kind of annoyed <laughs> 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 because I don't want it to seem like um, it's a, it's a, 
RIP or bust type mm-hmm. of scenario. That's not what I'm going after. What, but, but what I am going after is is a um, intentionality towards you know how to deploy the work in a way that uh, has model fidelity and, and in a way that honors the principles that we think are the most effective. Yeah, I mean it's important, obviously, because as we know, unfortunately, some of the workforce field has not been terribly successful, and sort of study after study has shown not much demonstrable change mm-hmm. in people's lives as compared to not taking part in a workforce program. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, kind of the world of social enterprise, we've really prided ourselves on measuring our outcomes, being clear about what we expect, and then changing if, we, if we're not seeing it. So through that, I think we have learned some things, and, and of course we hope, you know, we hope then to apply them. Still, uh, you know, each geography is different, and I wonder, just in that light, I hadn't asked yet, but Chicago's been going through a lot of changes. You have a new mayor, mm-hmm. uh, very exciting, very interesting. And, of course, uh, you know, Chicago notoriously has been struggling with a high level of violence and, you know, some other really tough problems for a long time. I guess I wonder, you know, when you think about Kara and the specialness of Kara, is there something particular about being in Chicago? Hmm. Uh, great question. Is there something about being, particularly in Chicago, I, perhaps like the whole notion of the city of broad shoulders certainly mm. comes to play when you think about employer engagement in a practice like Kara. Yeah. But I would say our first two affiliation efforts, the first one has been in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm. Uh, the second oh, being exciting. in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, We're about exciting. to launch in Atlanta in mm. mid-July. Um, always with a partner. Mm. So with a partner that's trusted on the ground in the community. Mm. In Fort Wayne, it was Lutheran Social Services of Indiana. Mm. In Atlanta, it's Atlanta Mission, a homeless shelter mm. um, in downtown Atlanta. So it's, it's not that the method stands on its own. It's that the method is integrated inside a trusted operator that already exists in that market mm-hmm. who people believe to be doing good work, um, who people trust, you know, with mm-hmm. their livelihood and with their, with their sense of hope and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And we just so happen to, you know, work to integrate this workforce method inside their larger organization to give folks another opportunity to get back on their feet. Yeah. Um, so in those two cases, you know, I feel confident that the method mm-hmm. can integrate because, and, and the last piece I might say on that is Atlanta and in the case of Fort Wayne, they were both year-long processes before launch. So it wasn't like, hey, here you go, mm-hmm. here, here, here it is in right. a little box, untie the bow and bada bing, bada boom. It was more like, how do we take what you do and integrate it with what, um, what our minimum viable product is and execute something together yeah. um, that's relevant for your community, your market, you know, your yeah. area. Well, yeah. it's going to be really exciting to see what, what happens, you yes. know, how well it goes. And I think, you know, I, I admire, Kara and you for having the courage to do that because a lot of organizations don't you know they get comfortable uh, or there's enough challenges every day uh, you know and to reach out and try to uh, expand your horizons beyond you know your own community I think it's really exciting it's really important uh, so I you know I look forward to, to seeing what happens um, I wonder on the kind of the flip side of, uh, of the good things going on, what, you know, what keeps you up at night? What's, you know, what are the tough challenges that Kara's got today? The thing that, that stresses me out the most, I mean, I know that everybody says don't worry about AI. Um, it's coming, but it's not coming like, like 
to get at all of our jobs. And I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I wake up in the middle of the night worried about the fact that you can walk into the Walgreens and there's more kiosks than cashiers. And, you know, uh, the digitization of our economy is is a thing. And when I have a population of participants for whom average reading and math can be sixth and eighth grade, you know, what are we doing to school and ready this population as it ages to be relevant for tomorrow's workforce? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that are happening. They're super exciting at the community college level and at the voc ed level, mm-hmm. which I adore. Mm-hmm. But what I worry about is what's the pre-bridge to the pre-bridge mm-hmm. to the bridge mm-hmm. to get to an opportunity like that? And, and yeah. you know, are our smartest people on that? I, I don't know. Um, and, I, and I haven't clearly seen that pathway. So when I wake up in the middle of the night, that's often the thing I think yeah, about. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, to expand on that question, uh, I'd be really interested in just what you do think, sort of we as a sector, the social enterprise community, uh, you know, what's the new horizon or where should we be looking ourselves? And some of those themes are there. And I know everyone is thinking about, look, we have a way now uh, to help people get work experience and uh, support while they're getting that work experience. And that's critical for so many people because it is part of that bridge to the bridge to the bridge right, you know right, you've right. got to start somewhere and and that's a uh, kind of a big offering from social enterprise the social enterprise arena uh, and at the same time obviously it's really tough to make enough money to afford a place to live and a decent life for your family in this economy that's so bifurcated mm-hmm. uh, so I know that's a struggle that, that a lot of us are experiencing, and there are others. Uh, I guess when you think about the sector, uh, you know, what, what do you think we might take on together, or do you have ideas mm-hmm. about what we should be uh, looking toward or pushing for? That's a great question. I think uh, two, two thoughts. One, I don't know if as a sector we do a great job of scaffolding. Um, and, and by that I mean I feel like we are all filling a certain niche of a skill set. Uh, but we don't really stack it. We don't we don't Jenga it out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And have that uh, accrue, and so that I understand. Well, the skills that I'm mm-hmm. helping people to mobilize towards through a clean slate are, let's say, tier one. But right. but you know, such and such organization is helping to build a skill on top of that, which is more of a tier three. And how do we kind of attach those models together mm-hmm. is one thing that I think about structurally. Could we figure that out together? And two, there mm-hmm. are people that clearly have helped to mobilize individuals with the same education and experience mm-hmm. challenges as what I'm describing mm-hmm. and have gotten them to near middle skill jobs. Mm-hmm. So what is it that they've done and how do we demystify that process? Mm-hmm. How do we get people who were once in the seat of the student who are now fully employed and successful and engaged um, to become teachers themselves to help bring other individuals forward. There's Mm -hmm. something in there to help close that skill gap that I think really relies on our community itself to Mm -hmm. self-feed, in part because I feel like sometimes people get stressed out about the the concept. Like, there's no way that I can get a job that's that, you know, Mm -hmm. middle-skill job because of where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. I can be convinced of that, though, if somebody who looks just like me, has a background just like me, has has opportunities and challenges as I have faced, 
is in that seat and is teaching me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think you know it's again kind of endemic. I think in the in the nonprofit world, not to be working well enough together. I mean, we try, but there's only so many hours in the day, mm-hmm. and it's you know so it's 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 hard for us to, as you said, kind of scaffold what we do. Where I do one part, you do another. You know, let's try to do it together. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of forces that can sometimes make uh, make that hard to do. And there's, there's a lot more of it we think we could be doing. Well, I think that's where you all are a great accelerator for that. No pun intended. But <laughs> in, in terms of, you know, f- yeah. really having a purview of the whole landscape uh, that's wide, you know, whereas some may be more skinny. Like mm-hmm. you guys are looking at it from this whole perspective and you can see, well, where do people fit in? Um, and and so perhaps you know you can help us mobilize in that direction. Yeah, there's there's one thing that just a small thing that's really struck me lately. Several groups have talked to us about, which is kind of uh, you can learn from social enterprise in a sense. A lot of people obviously need to have paid employment while they're training. That's kind of the essence, in a sense, of social enterprise. And yet, then maybe they're ready for some, you know. Uh, to get a license or you know a certificate that takes you know two to four months, uh, but there's really no pay right. while you're taking the training. Right. So that seems to be a real gap in the market. Maybe that's something that we can attack. Yeah. You know, together. Yeah. Uh, so um, maybe you can, if, if you would, uh, maybe uh, leave us with something that inspires you. Maybe something that uh, you listen to or you read or. Uh, a speaker or person, something that's inspiring for you that others might want to check out? Well, if, if you haven't checked it out yet, I'm a bit obsessed with Serial Season 3. Huh? And this is um, a podcast where she's really reflecting on one courtroom each week. And mm-hmm. so what she's doing is taking you into a county courtroom in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh. And as you know, a lot of what happens in the county jail systems, be it in L.A. or in San Francisco or in my hometown in Chicago, it's often, it often sits at the intersection of race and poverty. Yeah. That when you think about the issues of bail, you think about mm. the issues of injustice that get somebody even in front of a judge in the first place, mm. uh, that it's in Cook County, it's six to eight times more likely to be convicted of a crime if you're black or brown than mm. if you are white. Mm. And what she does in this podcast is bring you in as an observer into the courtroom to mm-hmm. witness these impossible barriers that people are facing, mm-hmm. the confusion of what is coming from a judge, you know, and kind of the information inload that you're taking and, and how you're supposed to deal with all of that and mm-hmm. how people ultimately get scooped up into jail and sit there, sit there, sit there, sit there, sit there, sit there, and how that becomes part of this whole cycle of jail to incarceration to poverty to cyclical homelessness yeah. and beyond. Yeah, that sounds that sounds wonderful. I'm going to check it out myself. And it gives you a window into the, it, it's like the small details of what actually goes down yeah. uh, that allows you to understand better uh, yes. you know, what happens to people's lives. Right. Yeah. Before we end, is there anything else you you want to share that I haven't asked you about? No, just that I'm really happy to be a part of this community and be a part of the the thinking and the learning that is so needed in this work. Wonderful. Well, I feel the same way, uh, Maria. Really admire uh, your leadership, what you've done at Cara, what Cara's done for so long. So, uh, you know, I think it's um, it, it's taught so many people uh, what the possibilities really are, and that's very exciting. So, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Thanks everybody for listening to Let's Get to Work. To access all of our content and resources to help you grow your business and increase the impact of your employment social enterprise, head over to redfworkshop.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and subscribing. They'll help new listeners discover the show. Stay tuned for a new episode next month. Until then, thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.